0: Hello, and welcome to the Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. My guest is Sirwan Kajo. Sirwan is a Washington-based journalist and researcher. He's a reporter with uh, Voice of America, and he focuses on Kurdish politics, Islamic militancy, extremism, and conflict in the Middle East and beyond. His debut novel, Nothing But Suit, about a 20-something Kurdish man whose quest for a permanent home never ends, was published in 2015. I last spoke to Sirwan just about a year ago about the situation of the Kurds in Syria and Iraq. And we're coming back to that subject to see where things stand today. Sirwan, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. Well, now, happy Nuruz. Uh, I, I I saw a lovely video of Kurds in Turkey celebrating Nuruz. And they were dancing as the snow fell gently. And it was, it was this beautiful scene, uh, wonderful music. Can you tell us about Nehruz and how it's celebrated?
1: Uh, Sure. Well, happy Nehruz to you too, Bill. Nehruz is a celebration of um, new times, new beginnings, and uh, and the beginning of spring. Um, But in the Kurdish uh, history, it's evolved into something bigger. Um, Over the centuries, uh, Kurds have celebrated uh, their freedoms, um, you know, emancipation from you know, brutal rulers, and uh, it's a symbol of freedom and new beginnings. And so in different parts of the Middle East, the roses celebrated uh, differently, uh, given the political circumstances in each country where Kurds reside. Uh, For example, in Iraqi Kurdistan, it's a whole week uh, uh, celebration. And so um, because Kurds in Iraqi Kurdistan have more freedoms, so the meaning has changed, The, the, the you know, the meaning of Neuroz. In Turkey, Iran, and Syria, on the other hand, Neuroz is more uh, a challenge for Kurds from different walks of life. It's a, it's a very, very distinctive way to express your ethnic identity, your very being that in many of these countries have been, ha, you know, has been suppressed for 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 centuries, for decades and centuries. So Narose, uh is a combination of all these things that I talked about, a way to express yourself and also to celebrate new beginnings and, and spring. Mm. Well, look, um, I wanna to talk to you about
0: the refugee situation. I mean, you yourself took the refugee road and, and it was not easy. So can you remind us again of your story and also how you respond to the images that we're seeing of those now millions of Ukrainian families fleeing Putin's war?
1: Well... You know, my story is nothing compared to the horrific accounts we hear from these people and we see on screens from um these, you know, innocent people uh, fleeing uh, the violence in Ukraine. It reminds me of my story, but also of the stories of many uh, friends and relatives that I have from Syria uh, who fled the country during different stages of, of, of the decade-long conflict. It's heartbreaking, Um, and, and, and you've, if you've experienced it yourself, it's, it's even more challenging. And, you know, it's something like being a refugee, it resonates with you. And it actually, refugee stories are similar all over the world, you know, no matter uh, how circumstances are different in each and, you know, in each and every conflict. Uh, But essentially it's that people who were, you know, living their peaceful lives and suddenly everything changes and they have to seek, refuge elsewhere, and it's so it's, it's really heartbreaking to see these images of Ukrainians fleeing their homes. As you say, this uprooting,
0: this really brutal uprooting from, you know, perhaps a difficult life but a normal life where you knew what was going to happen tomorrow and you knew what was going to happen in a week's time and you could look forward to celebrations and birthdays and family, this all
1: gets just torn apart. True. And, and when I left, actually, um, when I left Syria in 2006, uh, there was no war. There was no conflict. And so to answer your question about my own story, I left um, Syria for Lebanon in 2006 to study there. And I got involved with political activism and journalism, you know, with several anti-government, anti-Syrian government organizations in in Lebanon. That's what prevented me from going back to Syria. I became, you know, I was added to their wanted list. And less than two years after that, the, the U.S. Embassy through the U.N. Refugee Agency gave me asylum and I came to America in 2008. Um, That's why I said my story is nothing compared to the stories of Syrian refugees, Ukrainian refugees, Yemeni refugees that have experienced horrors and, and, you know, very, very difficult times over over the past few years and now in Ukraine.
0: And um, that Syria that you left, uh, it was several years before
1: you were able to get back, wasn't it? I left in two thousand six and and went back for the first time in two thousand and fifteen, and things were different, Bill. Completely different. I left. I I from you know I come from the northeast, which was heavily controlled by the Syrian uh, security forces before the before the war erupted in twenty eleven, and when I went back for the first time in nine years, everything was changed. I went from an Arab heavily Arab country to a country where Kurds were in charge. I'm talking about that part of the uh, of, of, of the country, that part of Syria, uh, where you could see, see signs in Kurdish, children going to Kurdish schools, uh, things were completely different for me, going back for the first time. But I've been back, um, you know, about a dozen times since then.
0: Mm. You know, w- when we last spoke about the Kurds of Iraq and Syria, You said something that uh, has stuck in my mind, and that was that Kurdish politics in Syria are never local. And by that, you meant outside players constantly engaged. Uh, Has anything changed for the Kurds in Syria?
1: Well, it's only gotten worse in the sense that uh, more international and regional actors are involved in in the Kurdish question in Syria. Right now, as uh, you know, there are different actors in charge of different parts of of the Kurdish region uh, up in the north and part of northeast, you have Turkish forces along with their local Arab uh, militias, but also you have the Russians, you have parts that were controlled by the, uh, are still controlled by the Syrian government and you know Russian troops. And this happened after the partial withdrawal of U.S. forces in October, 2019. And you also have the Americans, of course, and uh, So there's nothing local about that. And historically, Kurds in Syria have been influenced by bigger p- political parties in Iraq and, and, and Turkey, namely. Uh, this became more true during the Syrian uh, conflict because these different actors, whether it's the Kurdistan Democratic Party in Iraq or the Kurdistan Workers Party, PKK in Turkey, they wanted to be part of the uh, the change that was taking place in Syria and they wanted their groups, there's proxies in Syria to have the upper hand as the Syrian government forces withdrew from the Kurdish region and you know, more Kurds were in, in, in charge of the of the local administration. And so yeah, it's it's only gotten worse in that sense. And that sense that Kurds, local Kurds don't have much to say politically in in their, you know, in their affairs. Yeah, sure, every day, day day-to-day activities, they're run by local Kurds, but the bigger questions, questions that involve whether Americans should stay or not, whether we should, Syrian Kurds should deal with the Syrian government or the Russians for that matter, these are not necessarily determined by Kurds who went to fight ISIS, who paid the ultimate price, those who basically sacrificed for for the region to be established in in the first place. Now, President Assad, uh, speaking of of
0: foreign players, uh, President Assad was given the red carpet treatment in Abu Dhabi just last week. Uh, He met with Mahmoud bin Zayed and received his solid backing. Assad's goal remains to bring all of Syria back under his control. Margoli Emirati's support... The Kurds in Rojava, that's the Kurdish region in northeast Syria, about which you were speaking just earlier, and about which you've gone back to several times. But their dream really is still some sort of a state within a state. I mean, is that likely to happen, given the kind of support that Assad has? And and I suppose the, well, almost disinterest of of the rest of the world to to the issue of Syria. It's almost like we've said, right, Syria is sort of, we can focus on something else.
1: Yeah, the, um, you know, since the formal Russian intervention in Syria in 2015, um, this has been about the only goal that the Syrian government has stated as to retake every inch of Syrian territory from other groups that are not affiliated with the Syrian regime. So um, that has not changed. Uh, Of course, you know, the regime is trying to, rebuild its um, ties with several uh, regional states of course things have changed over the past since 2015 i would say much more territory has been retaken by the assad and russian and iranian backed militias the regime militarily is more powerful as opposed to the early days of the syrian conflict uh, but one thing here is different is that the U.S.-backed Kurdish forces, the SDF and the YPG, have also gotten more powerful. You know, the SDF and other Kurdish-backed groups are in charge, are in control of nearly one-third of Syria's territory. Now, that gives the Kurds important cards to uh, use when it comes to negotiations with the Assad or other Groups that want to talk about, a, you know, a political settlement for the uh, for the Syrian uh, conflict. Of course, many Kurds believe that this this situation won't go back to pre two thousand and eleven, where the regime was in control of everything, and and Kurdish political parties didn't have any control or any influence. Uh, the Kurds have the U.S. backing. They've built their own institutions over the past nine years or so, I would say, you know, even Assad in one of his interviews, I believe in 2019, admitted that things have changed in the Northeast. Um, he even said that there is a new generation that doesn't speak Arabic and we deal, we need to deal with these realities. Now, that's, um, that's significant coming from the head of a state that has never recognized the Kurds or their language or their culture. And, and the fact that Kurds are militarily Powerful, at least stronger than before, because remember, before 2011, Kurds didn't have any military force. This all came about after the eruption of the Syrian civil war. And so the Kurds speak from strength when they say, we want autonomy, we want a state within a state. We're not really, you know, because the concept, even the concept of um, self administration or autonomous administration that the Kurds have been promoting for um, a long time, is Essentially, essentially means giving more power to the local population to allow local groups run the show and, you know, deal with their own affairs, whether it's electricity provision, whether it's salaries to locals or public servants. Um, schools, things like that, you know, basic services. And this is what the, um, the autonomous administration in northeast Syria is doing right now. Of course, things could change because the regime does not accept the current form of autonomy that the Kurds enjoy in Syria. The presence of U.S. forces makes it, you know, makes it really difficult for the regime to come back uh, the way it wants to come back, you know, militarily, but also administer- politically. And so uh, we have all these issues that Kurds are capitalizing on to um, make their autonomy uh, a reality.
0: You um, wrote recently about the importance of a U.S. presence in northeast Syria. And you argue that the Kurds as repudiators of political Islam and as coalition allies and fighters against ISIS deserve America's support but at some point america will bring its troops home what happens then
1: yeah eventually you know us forces will leave the region um hopefully that would be in a in a way where there is political order in, uh, in 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 Syria and this is has been you know stated by many US officials by the by uh, by the Biden administration basically saying that our presence our military presence there is tied to stability and and you know reaching a political settlement in Syria and 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 so you know that's that's the essence. Um, in the meantime, Kurds need to work on their institutions. And and the reason I argue that U.S. need to support you know the U.S. government needs to support Kurdish groups is that these are liberal leaning group, mostly pro American. And you know whether American forces stay in on Syria or not, the U.S. will continue to engage with different Syrian groups and um, and I drew many uh, comparisons um no you know throughout um the Kurdish history in Syria there hasn't been one single party that advocates for Kurdish rights through islam and or political islam I should say and um that's that's remarkable in a region you know the the entire region uh, where you have different elements of extremist groups um different elef- element of you know extremism and and during the Syrian conflict these groups were more empowered by the atrocities that were committed by the Syrian regime but also by regional actors who wanted to have a say and on what was unfolding in Syria and so that's why i uh, argue that uh, the US needs to continue you know the support it currently provides to local British forces if the U.S. wants um, real stability and real political outcome from its war on terror in Syria?
0: Well, yeah, that's, that's the question, isn't it? And of course, uh, we could see the return of Trump or one of Trump's acolytes and uh, who really seem to have little concern about issues of uh, democracy and, and, and the struggle for freedom in regions and countries such as Syria. Um, Last time we also spoke about the situation in Al-Hal detention center Uh, that's uh, primarily where ISIS women and children are being held. And you said then, I'm quoting here, that the camp has really literally turned into a hotbed for ISIS recruiters, not only inside the camp, but also outside the camp. What can you tell us about the current situation uh, in Al-Hal?
1: Um, there are currently about 56,000 people living in, in this camp, and it, the camp itself itself is divided into three uh, sections. One for families of foreign fighters, ISIS foreign fighters, uh, one is for Syrian nationals, uh, nationals, and uh, one for Iraqi uh, nationals, and that's the largest portion. The Iraqi make the the biggest uh, percentage of uh, Al-Hol residents, and, um, you know, you... And I'm sure many listeners uh, were watching how ISIS uh, operatives tried to take over that prison that was holding, um, you know, a couple thousand ISIS fighters in in the city of Hasakah in northeast Syria and how dangerous that was. So, you know, the uh, threats, the danger that comes from a whole camp is real and it was manifested in that uh, attempt to take over the kurdish run uh, prison in hasaka so of course the, you know the attempt was you know the, the the attempt was foiled by by kurdish forces and also support from the us led coalition but the um, the threat remains there um and uh, actually their been many more attacks on civilians in all these SDF, uh, SDF-held sdf areas uh, since January. There's been at least five deadly attacks on SDF personnel and civilians throughout eastern Syria, particularly in the province of Deir-Zor, where the Syrian government and Iranian-backed forces have a significant presence as well. This problem hasn't been addressed properly. The coalition, the US-led coalition says that, you know, they will continue to support the SDL build its capabilities to be a more effective force at fighting these elements, these cells that belong to ISIS. But the core problem is, the the main issue here is Al-Hol camp. This is an entire city and we're talking about over 50,000 people. Now, some have been transferred to Iraq in the past couple of weeks, months, I should say. Um, but the problem is still there. We still have, especially the foreign ones, foreign women of ISIS, they are very violent. They still believe in ISIS radical ideology, and they try to radicalize more women inside the camp, um, you know, ordinary families, ordinary women that lived under ISIS rule at some point, but they were forced into the camp because they were, nobody would take them. Take them. And so uh, you see a lot of children being radicalized and the UN and other international NGOs can't do anything about it because the camp is too big to, to control. Um, we see uh, incidents, especially Iraqis, being targeted by, by some elements of ISIS which, uh, by the way, is not only limited to the camp itself. There are networks, uh, smuggling networks uh, that smuggle people out of the camp, but also smuggle in uh, you know, goods, money, and weapons into the camp to use it for, for attacks on the SDF camp guards and, and even the, uh, the civilians uh, inside the camp. It's, it's a very difficult situation, Bill.
0: Yeah, and very dangerous. And as you say, there's the children who are growing up being um, influenced not just by the ideology, but also by the awful conditions uh, in which they're living. Are there no go areas in the camp? I mean, are there places where, you know, the, uh, the forces that are in charge simply do not
1: go? There are actually, as a matter of fact, um, at some sections of the, and I know this from uh, my own reporting in you know, last summer. I went, I didn't go to the camp. I did talk to camp officials, however, and they were telling me different stories, interesting, very, very interesting stories about like certain sections of the camp at night are not under the control of the SDF just because it's too dangerous to be there and in the morning things go back to normal and um, you know security uh, personnel go back to basically those areas but at night it's under the control of these ISIS operatives within the camp and it's really hard to to identify these you know these cells because like I said the camp is too big and also um, because they are embedded Embed themselves within the civilian population, I and mean, you know, with the camp, within the camp residents. So, it's uh, it's hard to to tackle that issue from a security perspective. I, w- I want to
0: ask you too uh, about Turkey, which uh, continues to regard the Kurds as a threat. But but I wonder how big a threat is Erdogan to the Kurds, and not just in Turkey, but in Syria and Iraq. I ask because about. Six weeks ago, Turkish warplanes hit what they call terrorist sites in Syria and Iraq. It was a big operation, 60 fighter jets, with the Turks claiming to have uh, killed many terrorists.
1: Yeah, the Turkish uh, attacks on Kurdish elements, both in Syria and Iraq and inside Turkey, of course, has not stopped really in recent years. There is this an ongoing operation. I think it's called Eagle Claw uh, operation that basically targets uh, the PKK and SDF or any other Kurdish gr- group that Turkey views as you know terrorists. And uh, unfortunately, uh, especially in 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 mountainous regions of Iraqi Kurds and parts of northeast Syria. Uh, many civilians have been um, the victims of these attacks. Uh, The PKK, if the Turkish government is attacking the PKK, really the PKK has been there for decades and they know how to hide themselves. They have so many hideouts in these, you know, mountains and it's really hard to target them directly. So what you have right now, many uh, civilian Iraqi Kurds, you know being caught in the in this conflict and same thing goes to um the civilian population in northeast Syria Turkey right now has increasingly used uh, drone attacks on what they call terrorist threats in northeast Syria but in reality it is uh, largely the, the, the local population that is paying the price of these uh, of these attacks. The circumstances don't allow the Turks to probably wage another large-scale operation in northeast Syria, given that the U.S. would oppose that. Uh, so nothing similar to 2019 could happen in, in the near future as far as I'm concerned. But I believe that um, the Turks will continue to wage these kind of targeted attacks against SDF uh, leadership, but unfortunately the civilian population as well. And
0: and, uh, can you just uh, uh, briefly bring us up to date on the situation in Kurdish Iraq? Again, the last time we spoke, uh, ordinary people in KRG were victims of a corrupt system where a whole range of services, clean water, electricity, health, education, decent jobs were being denied them. What's the situation uh, when you're on?
1: You know, political parties are busy with uh, nominating a new president for the uh, for the Republic of Iraq. As you know, the t- political tradition in Iraq is the president has to be an ethnic Kurd. And there has been uh, a lot of back and forth between the major two political parties in the Kurdistan region, um, namely the uh, Kurdistan Democratic Party, KDP, and the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, P.U.K. And they've been vying for control of the region. But of course, the KDP is a much bigger group and it got many more seats in the, you know, in the October elections. So the um, right now, the focus of the political parties are on who to uh, uh, nominate for the Iraqi presidency but on the other hand the issues remain the same for for ordinary Kurds in Iraq basic needs are still unaddressed and uh, you know a couple months ago during the harsh season of winter uh, we witnessed several uh, you know rainstorms and the infrastructure in Iraqi Kurdistan, and especially in major cities like Erbil and Sulaymaniyah and elsewhere, is not prepared for for these type of weather conditions. And so, a lot of uh, there was a lot of damage uh, done to city residents. Uh, a lot of people lost their homes. Um, now, the government has promised to compensate uh, some of these people. I've seen some level of compensation, um, but from the reporting we see on the ground, there's still many, a lot of work needs to be done to address this and many other uh, pressing issues that deal that impact the the daily lives of uh, of the Iraqi population. And and Bill, you know, we're talking about a very rich region. Uh, Iraq is a major oil producer, and among it is the Kurdish region. The Kurdish Kurdistan region is a very rich region in terms of natural resources. Unfortunately, the local population has, has not benefited from these riches over the years. It's primarily the uh, political elite, uh, the ruling parties that have benefited from, you know, oil revenues and other type of transactions that have um, the, 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 the KRG has with, with the regional governments and even with the, with the Iraqi government. So um, to answer your question in short, no, the situation has not improved. If anything, it's gotten worse. Mm. Ordinary people continuing to pay that price while
0: the uh, political elite squabbles over who gets the prize. Um, look, finally, Sidovan, if I were to say to you, what is the realistic best case scenario for the Kurds? What would that scenario look like?
1: I think what you know what the Kurdish political parties are advocate, advocating for and working for in recent years has been really realistic. You know, um, of course, there was a referendum for independence in Iraqi Kurdistan in in two thousand and seventeen, which failed disastrously. Uh, apart from that, uh, Kurdish parties have been realistic in their approach and, and their political objectives when it comes to Kurdish rights. So I think uh, for for now, uh, a, a realistic approach would be you know confederated regions in each of these countries where kurds reside especially in Iraq and and Syria where kurds are much more powerful politically and militarily than than kurds in in Iran and and Turkey but all but but even there uh, you see tendencies for autonomy you know more calls especially after you know the relative success in the experiences in Syria and Iraq by kurdish forces trying to protect these regions but also design local uh, governance that correspond with with the need of the needs of the population at least from a political point of view i think that would be a realistic approach you know if you ask any ordinary kurd probably their answer would be an independent kurdistan but that's not a realistic approach uh, for the time being at least uh, given the circumstances in the region i think Federalism uh, more autonomy, more local administration, basically cities and regions run by local groups would be the answer uh, a realistic answer that um, i mean it's been happening in Iraq and Syria at least, and you know federalism in Iraq is enshrined in the, in the in the Iraqi Constitution at some point, the Assad regime or any future government in Damascus will have to accept a sort of autonomy for Syrian Kurds, I think that would be the norm for the next few years, given the ongoing situation in the countries where Kurds reside.
0: Well, that's um, a new start, potentially a fresh start, and perhaps right now, celebrating Nowruz and that's a good goal to aim for. I hope so. <laughs> one, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Bill. This was wonderful.
0: You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Sirwan Kajo. He's based in Washington and is a journalist and researcher. We welcome your comments. In addition to our podcasts, which I'm pleased to say have a rapidly growing global audience and are available on several platforms, including Amazon Music, the Arab Digest daily newsletter features the very best of mean analysts. If you'd like a free trial to the newsletter, simply go to arabdigest.org. And if you enjoy what you find and want to join the club after your trial period has ended, we're offering special rates to students, academics, and retirees. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.